0: Good morning, if uh, this is your first time with us, we're excited you're here. Uh, we're gonna be in the Gospel of John. You heard Jason read the whole text this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, maybe you're just checking out this Jesus thing and you don't own a Bible, we w- we wanna encourage you uh, to uh, download an app. It's the YouVersion app, it's a great app. Uh, you can f- download it right now on your phone and uh, you can find John 19. We're going we're to gonna kind of walk through it uh, from, from the aspect of dealing with an issue that we've been talking about the whole time since we started back in August. When we shared with you, John tells us why he wrote this book. Mm-hmm. In chapter 20, he says, I, these things are written so that you would believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah, or Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you would have eternal life. Well, that word, Christ is the Greek word, for the Hebrew word, Messiah. Mm -hmm. and um, So why is that a big deal? Why does John want us to believe, specifically, that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, uh, it's a really important word. (laughs) And the Messiah, uh, it actually means anointed one. And in the Old Testament, it was used for either prophet, priest, or kings. And you, we have accounts in the Old Testament of different people being referred to as Messiah. They are pictures of the Messiah that was to come. And so when John adds that phrase, it says he wants you to believe Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah was this figure uh, who was coming that was going to be the prophet, priest, king, ruler all of, over all of Israel. And we see in Jesus all three of those offices. We've seen him uh, as prophet, uh, foretelling the future, if you will, prophesying about what's going to happen. We've seen seen him as priest as he ministers to people. And in this chapter, we're gonna see, it's it's really crazy, he's a king and, and he's uh, he's condemned in this chapter and crucified, and it's, it's possibly the biggest place in the entire Bible where he's shown as king, which is ironic, really. Right. If I had
1: one title to put on this section of Scripture, really from the time that Jesus appears before Pilate and onward into his resurrection, I would, I would call this Kings and Kingdoms, because that's really what's at play. There's a tension bubbling up as we read through this narrative. Of whose kingdom will win out here?
0: Yeah.
1: Whose kingdom will be established, and whose kingdom is true, and who actually is the true king? So, I'm, my wife is a sucker. Maybe some of you guys are too for movies that uh, have to do with the English monarchy. Any, anybody else? Like, if there's a movie That's or TV show, room, right? Like yeah. that comes out, like you're just a sucker for it. You like. Ev- I know when one pops up on Netflix, I'm like, yeah, she's going to want to watch this. Um, that's how it works. Uh, but you, you watch these shows or movies about that subject, about the monarchy, and you're like, they're a mess. Yeah. Like It's a total wreck. Like All that you know, takes place in, 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 as you look back at history. And I'm sure some of it's dramatized. But, but still, we have a history of kings in, in the Bible as well. Mm. You can go back to the kings of Israel and you can read their stories. And guess what? It's the same. It's a mess. It's an absolute disaster, except for a few bright spots. And one of the bright spots is the second king of Israel's name is David. And David's called a man after God's own heart. And David becomes sort of the person that everyone looks to when they think of, here's what the Messiah will look like. This king who comes in and establishes this unbelievable, peaceful, far-reaching reign. But this Messiah who's going to come is going to establish a reign that extends even to the ends of the earth. So all of Israel's anticipating this. They're looking for a king. Who is this king going to be? And here's Jesus, who's healed people, who's brought people back from the dead who's fed thousands of people with just a few fish and bread. And here he stands on trial. And the very question of his trial becomes this. Are you the king of the Jews? You see, it, it gets a little confusing for people because some people think, "Oh, well, like I guess that we don't stop and think, why was Jesus actually on trial here? What's he being tried for? In fact... When, when I first read, if you go back to 1833, so where you read Pilate asks this question, he says, are you the king of the Jews? I kind of asked, why is he asking that myself? <laughs> like, wh- why does he want to know if he's the king of the Jews? And you get to 19.7, read there with me. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. The son of God, he's made himself out to be God. He's made himself out to be the Messiah. Yeah. So that's what's at stake here. When we're at this trial, this kangaroo court of Pilate and the Jewish rulers, when they place Jesus up there to be tried, they're saying, here's the problem. He's
0: claiming to be the king and we won't have any of it. Right, and Jesus never denies he's a king. In fact, every time we see him in the scriptures treated as the Messiah, he receives it. Right, just a few uh, days before this event, remember he rides into town. It's Palm Sunday today. Palm Sunday, which is today,
1: there there there's a parade. We remember that event of of John chapter twelve. Yeah, the triumphal entry. Jesus enters. In, and, and listen to what they say right here. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So that's just days before
0: all the people are shouting, this is the king of Israel, he's here. The, yes, thousands of people shouting this. And now, fast forward, here we are. He's on trial, bound before Pilate being accused of being the false messiah, not the king. And, and you, you end up with that. The real issue is, who's the king? Who's in charge? We, we're probably going to repeat that a lot mm-hmm. this morning. So in case you miss the theme of the message, that's it. Who's the king? Are you a king? Pilate's the whole wordplay between Jesus and Pilate about king and kingdom, are you a king? Jesus is like, well, who told you that? And Pilate goes, oh, so you are a king. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm a king, but I, my kingdom is not from this world. It is for this world, mm-hmm. but it's not from this world. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and what's at play here in John 19, as Jesus makes these claims to be king and he's put on trial for uh, being the king, you have uh, really three responses recorded and we're gonna look Really, at, at three kind of responses to Jesus' claim to be king, and it's Pilate, Caiaphas, and the and the Jewish leaders, and then uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. So there's three groups that we're gonna. We just want to look at yeah. their response to this claim that Jesus is the king. So, so the first, Pilate, first one we have is
1: Pilate. Right. Pilate is the ruler. He's the governor, the king, if you will, of the region as. As the Roman regent, Uh, he is ruling for Caesar there in Jerusalem, right? Because right now Israel is under Rome's rule. They don't like that at all. So there's a tension between uh, the Jewish rulers and Pilate. They know they kind of need each other. The Jewish rulers are the ones who kind of keep the people in line. But Pilate ultimately is the one in charge. I mean, he says so as much, right? When he says, don't you know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you says that in verse ten, so Pilate's kind of hey I'm the one in charge here I'm the one who's ruling here and and he in his dealings with Jesus is trying to figure out who Jesus is and in chapter eighteen he says you know like well, well tell me who you are and he's going back and forth are you really the king and he's a little worried uh, some of the other gospels record the fact that his wife in Matthew twenty seven his wife had come to him and said, I'm having these terrible dreams about this man. And so that's at play in his mind as he's speaking to Jesus. He's kind of wrestling with this three times, count this, three times he comes back and says that Jesus is innocent. In 1837 and verse four of chapter 19 and verse six of 19. So he's going back and forth. In fact, really what plays out in this narrative is him just trying to figure out how to get Jesus released. Even the flogging that Pilate gives him in verse one is to do so to say, look, here's his punishment. I'm just gonna flog him. Can you guys be okay with that? And then off we go, let's move on with our lives because I don't see where he's broken and he lost.
0: Right, and, and if you go back to Isaiah 53, Isaiah 50, 52 and 53 are these prophecies about the Messiah, right, there, there's gonna be this sinless one that comes and um, just we, I wish we had time to read all of 52 and 53 of Isaiah, but, but listen to some of this. Uh, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And, and as for his generations who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Now you, Isaiah is saying the Messiah's gonna come, he's, he's innocent, but God's gonna lay on him the guilt of us all. And what's happening in this episode, when Pilate three times, Pilate, Pilate the authorities saying mm-hmm. he's not guilty. But I, I'm going to kill an innocent man. I think what Pilate really gets to
1: is he's seeing Jesus as sort of a nobody, like, just like another criminal. Right. I, I, he, he's wrestling with, oh yeah, like, I hear these claims, my wife's dream, like, I, maybe there's more to this, but he doesn't. He kind of toes the line, I, but at the same time, look, he looks just like these other men who are, who are going to die here in a little bit. He looks just like these other common criminals that the Jews have problems with, and so he just becomes a part of the system and, there.
0: And the reason he capitulates to the Jews is, uh, it's interesting, when they say uh, in verse 12, look at this, if you release this man, because th- they can feel it, yeah. right? They can feel Pilate's getting ready yeah. to turn him loose if you release this man you are not caesar's friend that phrase caesar's friend that's all pilate cares about (laughs) right so he's the governor he's got all this authority but caesar ultimately rules over pilate and pilate knows if he lets jesus go word gets back to caesar that he's let this rebel go who's claimed to be a king pilate could lose not only his position but his life It, it was recorded that Tiberius, who was the Caesar at this time, was pretty notorious for doing that. And so, Pilate is afraid he's gonna lose his position, his place, his power. And so, that's why he can't say yes to this king that is in front of him. And it's
1: the same for the Jewish rulers. So that's the second group of people that we have here. Jesus has already stood in front of Annas, the, the former uh, high priest, uh, Caiaphas, now the high priest. There's other, uh, John makes mention of, of the rulers uh, of the Jews, and then sometimes he just calls them the Jews in general, uh, these, these people who care about what happens to Jesus. And if you go back to chapter 12, flip, flip back there just for a second with me, or scroll back there. You're going to remember what's on their minds and hearts when we went through this chapter. So this is right after the triumphal entry, and right after Jesus has raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, and everyone seems to be going after him. It says, am I in the right chapter? Depends on what you're looking for. I'm... Sorry, I just had that moment. I'm looking at the wrong verse. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man oh, yeah. performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That's in 11 I'm sorry. I was, I was, I said 12 It's chapter 11. That's 11 verse
0: 47. Sorry, guys. But you need to see that, right? So Pilate's afraid he's gonna lose his position in power. The whole reason the Jews bring Jesus before Pilate is found there in chapter 11. What they're worried about is
1: them, the Romans, coming to take away both their place and their nation. So you see the struggle, you see the tension there. Pilate's worried about his rulership and here's the Jewish rulers r- worrying about their rulership. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's the struggle that, it's the tension that, hey, we need each other in
0: this, but the, but both of them see Jesus as a threat, because he is, right? Yeah. And, and you see it, we, so when, when Pilate says, I find no guilt in him, they're just, they're bloodthirsty, crucified, crucified, and then uh, they say, we, we've got a law, right? So he's, he's, he ought to be crucified, because he's made himself to be the son of God, and then when they uh, put the pressure on Pilate to release him. So remember, he's made himself to be son of God, that's why we want him killed. And then he says, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So they equate claiming to be the son of God and being a king, they're the same. And so the Jewish leaders are saying, Jesus has claimed to be the king. They're not gonna acknowledge it as king, and you're gonna see that again in a second when, when they get on to Pilate for what he writes on the, on the scroll. But there's a, this, this, we have a law, right? They're all about the law. And a lot of times, we, we end up being about the law. It's interesting, in Romans 8, Paul says what the law was powerless mm-hmm. to do. And that it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son. And so, they, they don't realize that before them is the... Is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, they, and when Pilate, so Pilate brings him out and says, Behold the man the first time. Yeah. And then he comes out and says, Behold the, your king the second time. That's in verse 5 and then in verse 14. It, it, it's not an accident. Like you see on display in the words of Pilate, Truly God, your king, your Messiah, Truly behold the man. Mm-hmm. And and in Jesus, you have this picture of uh, the only one who could save the world. And, and Pilate is, is uh, almost serving as prophet in some ways and, and uh, declaring the truth about Jesus and yet he won't acknowledge it and neither will the people that are listening to him. And when they say, But you, you need to hear how wicked this phrase is. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. These are the priests over Israel. They, are, they represent the entire nation. And, and if you know anything about the history of Israel, God is their king. They they have psalms about worshiping God as their king. And and they have just declared publicly, God's God's not our king. And in fact, I want to I want to read this uh, Deuteronomy 17. um, Again, there are about 30 sermons in this chapter. You're gonna get you get uh, cliff notes of all of them. So Deuteronomy 17, you don't have to flip there, 17-14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. So God knows they're going to ask for a king. Mm -hmm. Listen to what he says. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. They just declared, we have no king, but Caesar. Because they know that's where, the, that's where their power and position lay, is at the feet of Caesar.
1: And I think that verse really brings to the surface what's happening in their heart. You know when you start to get really desperate, what's deep down inside kind of screams out? And that's what takes place for them here when they say, Um, the the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. It it just pops out. Mm. Undoubtedly, they know that this is something they should never have uttered, but what's truly in their heart, when they see that Pilate may let Jesus off and let him get away, then it comes out, no, no, we have no king but Caesar. This has to happen. You see, they say, and Verse seven again, we have a law, and according to that law, they're, they're worried about the law. But why are they worried about the law? And this we have to dig into this because this is yeah. what's true for us, too. The reason they're worried about the law is again, it's because it preserves their place, yeah, and their power and their rule. Mm. So let that dig into your heart a little bit, right? The things. That we care about, unless Jesus changes our heart and and He establishes His throne in our life, what we care about is where we get power and where we get you know that rulership in our life. What, you know, it's it's the same on, on whether or not you're two years old or twenty years old. Like my two year old is is like this now. Like I want things my way. I want it to go my way. And that's how, if, if, you're, if you're Christian and you dip into your flesh, that's how you feel. Before you meet Jesus, this is how often our life is directed and moved about, is, is that very way. Like what is going to bring me happiness? What is going to bring me what I want? And so that's what's at stake for, for them. And that's why I think when it says that they care so much about the law, here they are contradicting the very yes. law that they say they care so much about.
0: That's 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 what reveals the heart. And, and you, so you're you're about to see this collision of these two kingdoms, if you will, yeah. small k kingdoms, when when Pilate puts this sign on the cross, right? He says, uh, he wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, which was common. They would they would put it on the cross so people walking by would go, this is why this person's being killed, right? So don't do this. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. We'll get to that in a second. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, no, don't write that. Mm -hmm. Don't write that he's the king of the Jews. Rather, that he said or he claimed he was the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. Mm -hmm. And so get this picture. You, you have uh, above the, the blood that's pooling at the bottom of the cross and below this sign that Pilate has made between two condemned criminals and on the outside city limits of the royal city hangs a king. And he's lifted up, remember he said I'll be lifted up. He's lifted up. And last week I, I, we, we talked about the old Adam and the new Adam. When, when rulers would come into power, and it still happens today by the way, rulers come into power and they, they rule over these vast territories. They can't be in every place at every time. They'll put a, You know what they'll do? They'll put a statue up, right? So, like, uh, we, we've seen very famous ones, uh, Caesar, some statues of Caesar. You know they never found a statue of Caesar in Rome? You know why? He lived in Rome. They found statues in other places. Uh, Stalin, very famous statue of Stalin. Uh, they, they would put them up to kind of remind the people, this is who rules over you. Uh, Saddam Hussein had statues in everywhere and it was to remind people I'm the one ruling over you. When God creates the universe think about this for a second. He's the ruler of the reign and he puts a statue in a garden. Mm -hmm. Except it's living and breathing. Adam. When Pilate lifts Jesus up on that cross, he is saying, this is who's ruling and reigning. And he doesn't even realize it. And, and, and so, so on that hill, Golgotha hangs Jesus Christ, innocent, Pilate declares him innocent, uh, bearing the sin of all of us. I think you need to look at Romans chapter five
1: for just a moment. So flip there to Romans five, scroll there. Just to the right. Pilate has prophetically announced, Behold the man. Mm. As Vic was explaining in the garden, God placed the man who is made in his image. Man and woman made in the image of God. And that, if you study that word, it's exactly what he was saying. That's what it means. It means God placed his image, meaning his image, Rulership in Adam to go and to carry out his rule and reign over creation. In Romans 5, we get the explanation of what happened in the garden. Therefore, just as sin, this is verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the first ruler who was placed in the garden messed it up. Just like any earthly king that we've kind of caught a glimpse of. It's a yeah. disaster. It's a wreck. But listen to this. Now skip to verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gifts of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ.
0: I mean, that's good, church. Come on.
1: Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will
0: be made righteous. Behold the man. Right? This, this word rain. Right't we we, We're Americans, right? We're free. Nobody <laughs> reigns over us. But maybe what's wrong with us? Jesus wants to reign. He wants to rule over your, your sin, your mm-hmm. lust, your desire, whatever. Wicked in your heart. He wants to rule and reign over that. His kingdom is just different. It's a kingdom of love, joy, peace, mercy, forgiveness. And, and, And Caiaphas and Pilate can't see it. And so Jesus dies. And then two guys show up. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Think about the irony. Both of these guys, the other gospel writers tell us, they're both members of the Sanhedrin and Nicodemus is a Pharisee. So the Sanhedrin and the Pharisee show up to claim the body. They take Jesus and they put him in a tomb. Both of these guys are wealthy as well. We're told in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, that Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of burial spice, which in this day and age would be about 200 grand worth of funeral stuff. And, and these two guys do, what, what, what Pilate and Caiaphas won't acknowledge while Jesus is alive, these two guys do while he's dead. They bar- They gave him a burial fit for a king. Mm-hmm. Israel's kings, you can go back and look. Uh, Asa uh, is is buried with a, a lot of spice. Um, I think that's in uh, maybe second Chronicles chapter six. Uh, you have the record of Asa being wrapped in a lot of lot of spices. And then Israel's kings are buried in gardens. Second Kings 21, you have Um, the the record of two kings being buried. And in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah goes to rebuild David's tomb, you know where it is? In a garden, right? So they bury him like a king. But that may not be the craziest thing. So flip with me to Matthew 27. I, I want you to see this. This is Matthew's account, Matthew twenty seven fifty seven. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate, asked for the body. Then Pilate ordered it be given to him. Verse 59, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean shroud and laid it in his own new tomb which he had cut in the rock. Flip to Isaiah 53. Now if you read a lot of Isaiah, if you read a lot of prophecy, sometimes it just sounds like gibberish and you go, I have no idea what's going on. Right, Isaiah 53, nine. They made his grave with the wicked Mm -hmm. and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Listen to me, hundreds of years before Joseph took the body and wrapped it and laid it in his own new tomb. He was a wealthy man. Jesus is put in Joseph's grave. He's laying where Joseph should have laid. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ goes into Joseph's tomb, in Joseph's place, dying for the sin Joseph of Arimathea committed, and Jesus is gonna rise from the dead out of Joseph's tomb, walk out of that tomb, so Joseph can walk into it unafraid. Behold the man. Behold your king. He, he is a king of a kingdom that is not like this world. It is upside down, y'all. The last are first. The poor are rich. And the king rides into town on a donkey and dies between two criminals and goes into a borrowed tomb and walks out to sit on the throne of the universe to rule and reign. And today, the question is, whose kingdom are you gonna land in? What kingdom are you gonna choose? Are you gonna be like Pilate and Caiaphas, or are you gonna do what Joseph and Nicodemus do and go, this is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah? And fall at his
1: feet in worship. Let me read, from you from, read to you from Psalm 22, the very psalm that Jesus quotes while on the cross. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you read the rest of the psalm, you see one of the clearest pictures in the Old Testament of what will point to the cross, where he says, that I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like pot and my tongue sticks to my jaw. He's thirsty. I can count on my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. John points out at several points in this narrative all the things. Mm from the scripture that was fulfilled in Jesus. And then finally, in Psalm 22, towards the end of the Psalm, verse 27, he says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. John is pointing us back. Uh, This, this we've left so much on the table today because John John's writing of this crucifixion event is so rich. But here's what he says in verse 35 of chapter 19, going back to our text. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows what he is telling the truth, that you may believe. Let's circle back to where we started, right? John says he writes this book so that we can believe that Jesus is the king, that he's the Messiah, that he's the son of God, and that in believing, we can have life. Hmm. And John says in chapter 19, listen, I was there, I saw it. This is an eyewitness writing this account. He's looking back years later, he's put all this together, all the scripture that was fulfilled, all that came true in Jesus, and he says, listen, I'm writing this so you'll believe. So don't walk out of here today yourselves without believing in this Jesus. That his rule and his reign in in your life can be established in your belief that he took your place on the cross. If you place your faith and trust in him, believing that he died the death, you should have died. And that we're going to tell a pretty good story next week about how he overcame that. If you believe in his death and his resurrection, then you will have life. Hmm.